Hey neighbors, Samuel here. Thanks so much for joining us this week and thanks for being patient with me these last couple weeks as I'm just sort of navigating through my new schedule and everything that's going on. Your boy's moving up, so um, I've got a lot on my plate and I appreciate you hanging in there and still listening to us. This episode is no different. I'm so excited for this week's episode. Um, it's a continuation of what we talked about last week. So we're still with Andy and Shinesha this week. I was so grateful to Andy and Shinesha for coming on. And I think that their perspective is invaluable. So this week is going to be great. I'm not going to take too much of your time before we start the episode because I know you're just chomping at the bit to get started. So um, I will say, please check us out on iTunes and Facebook and Instagram and Gmail. Uh, by communityroots.pod. And if you're emailing us, just add that at gmail.com at the end. To everyone who reaches out, thank you so much. We love building that community and it's so cool to see you join it and kind of get this feedback. For a lot of us, we're just in recording studios and we're looking at screens. So whenever that interaction is there, it means a lot. Um, I also wanted to thank JHR Counseling and Consultation. It's my mom's private practice, and she has totally sponsored everything on the show from the mics to the recording space to everything. So if you need any mental health services or anything like that, go to jhrcounseling.com. I helped design the website so you know it's good. And you can see a list of her specialties and stuff like that. So thanks again, mom and JHR Counseling and Consultation. So I'm not going to keep you any longer before I start the show. The last thing I just wanted to say was we do talk about politics, and I know for a lot of people that is a touchy subject. I would so strongly recommend listening to this episode and keeping an open mind, but I am putting this warning in here so you have the chance to opt out. Anyway, I think this is a great episode. I will talk to you all soon. Thanks so much. where we gather in community to talk about mental health so we can travel the journey of life together. I'm Samuel Richards. I'm Sarah Wakefield. And today we are off the beaten path with Shinesha Yoder and Andy Ruggles. Uh, Welcome back, you all. I know it's been so long since we've last talked. (laughs) But uh, if you joined us last week... um, we discussed a lot of personal ways that you can kind of get through um, this traumatic experience that is happening a lot of to a lot of people in the United States right now. And today, I kind of wanted to expand that. Well, I'll say if you haven't listened to last week's episode, please go back and listen to it. We cover a lot of cool stuff in terms of how to regulate, how to help regulate others. Five, four, three, two, one method. Uh, the importance of connecting, a lot of different stuff that we talked about. So definitely go back and check it out. 
But this week, we're going to kind of take a step back and look at things at more of a societal level, which is how would mental health professionals, what would they recommend moving forward in a society that practices good mental health? And how can we achieve that within our communities? So I, I kind of wanted to, or, or even in our organizations, you know, in any level, how can we spread this kind of good mental health practices to, uh, to impact on a wider scale? So I kind of wanted to open the floor for both Shinesha and Andy, um, what you guys thought of that. For one, I think we need to focus more on how communities show up when they deal with mental health. So being a person of color, we are not as likely to reach out to therapists in our community, which is something that um, I've definitely been someone who is advocating uh, for more self-care in the community when it deals with seeking out therapy and help and trying to figure out how to communicate that need. One thing um, I'm doing, uh, my organization is doing, is compiling therapists that are people of color um, and kind of vetting them out, talking to them, and trying to link up Black and brown folks with therapists that understand the community pieces um, and understand the cultural pieces of what's going on. We don't seek out therapy because historically, when Black folks go to therapists, they end up losing their children and all kinds of things because of what they reveal to therapists. Um, their trauma, our trauma, trauma is different sometimes on a different scale. We don't even recognize that we're going through trauma. So the first thing is, once you've identified, once your body is telling you that you are going through a traumatic experience, and you're feeling that out of control, is to seek help. Well, how do you seek help when you don't trust the system? You know, how do you, how do, you do that? Um, how do you, who do you rely on? So the one thing, like I said, we're doing is trying to compile uh, several different therapists so that we can give people safe places to go to. Um, of course, Equitas would be one of those places, but we are definitely trying to do that, realizing that it's, it's definitely a big cultural piece as to why we don't seek help. Uh, actually, Shinesha, could you go over your organization, Bravo, and kind of, uh, once again, kind of uh, describe it again and what you do, because I do think it is a good resource for that sort of thing. Bravo is Buckeye Region Anti-Violence Organization. We serve the folks in the LGBTQ community that are dealing with intimate violence, domestic violence, hate crimes, uh, discrimination. We do trainings, advocacy, case management. We help people with housing needs that have lost their housing due to discrimination, whether it be they had to leave because of a partner uh, or whatever the situation may be. Uh, we also connect people with therapeutic resources, financial resources. So I am the survivor service supervisor um, over the client service department within Bravo. But we also do trainings. Um, so if someone needs trainings within their organization to help them get allocated to the needs of LGBTQ plus folks, we also do technical assistance as well. So, and we have a youth department. Um, we do youth safety summits. We um, help connect our youth with resources and we advocate in the school systems and so forth when our youth are not 
having their needs met that are in the community. And Andy? Uh, I say, if I can add to that, I actually was an intern at Bravo and, and helped get my start in the field there. Um, but when, when Shanisha's talking about training, she's talking about they used to tr- help train the police. Um, they helped train school systems. They helped train uh, any organization bank systems, I think, even had a couple trainings there on how to work competently within the LGBTQ community and within our POC community as well. Absolutely. Yeah, what are some of the impacts of that? What are, you mentioned like working with the police and banks and businesses, like what, what what does your organization do and teach organizations how to, like what are some of those steps? I'm trying to look at things in terms of long-term change. How do we look at things from a mental health perspective to build more positive systems? You know, something we've said on the show is that trauma goes through generations. And we've also mentioned too that so does healing. And so uh, that's, that's what I was, uh, that's what I want to build up is kind of long-term mental health solutions as well. So I was curious, uh, how does Bravo and um, other organizations, what do they teach and what does that look like? So one of the other places we teach as well, like uh, Andy brought up, we teach, um, we've done trainees for Ohio Health, um, Mount Carmel, we work with the CPAP program, um, and places like that, trying to teach folks how to show up and be an ally and understand the differences of what the different traumas that these different groups go through. Right. So we generalize. So we deal with a lot of times the system, the, the systematic issues of oppression. Number one, we do this wonderful thing called the impact of silence. Okay. So I love the impact of silence because we talk and we teach people how it feels to not be able to talk about yourself, your entire self, when you're dealing with people, when you're dealing with family. You know, people will say to you, okay, you're gay, but we don't have to talk about that, do we? You know, you're the black friend, but we don't have to talk about black issues, do we? You know, do we really have to get into all of that right now? Can we just be, you know, so the impact of silence is a quick demonstration of how it feels to not be able to talk about everything that is you. Um, And it is extremely impactful. And we go over the cage of oppression, which also talks about where everyone fits in this cage. So you get to look at it and realize your, where you are and your entitlement that maybe you didn't think about. Because a lot of times the issue is, what do you mean as a white person, I have privilege? What are you talking about? You know, uh, we teach what it is to have privilege. We teach what it is to be able to go to a doctor as a, a trans woman and what it is to go to a doctor as a trans man or a masculine identified woman. You know, women go to gynecologists and are treated uh, and discriminated because it's kind of like, well, this person looks a certain way, so why are they here? Um, And these are by people, doctors are educated people. And if any place, you should be able to go to a doctor and be heard. But take away from even how you look, once a, a black woman, uh, me being a black woman, uh, not having medical needs met at a doctor's office because 
you're looked at as a drug seeker or you're looked at as somebody that's trying to get something. In the court system, our court system is horrific when it comes to people of color or people who are LGBTQ. So much discrimination and biases. So we did a training at Franklin County Courts where attorneys and judges came and we did uh, a safe zone type training where we talked about oppression and privilege and all these different things. And it was a good program. I think it was Bravo, Stonewall, and I forget there might've been another organization that I'm leaving out, but they did. uh, I think Star House took part in that too, to work with youth. Yeah, I think it was Star House too. So a lot of people showed up from different organizations also to the training at Franklin County. It was a couple of couple of days that we were there doing an all day training. It was optional for attorneys, but we had, uh, like I said, some judges and attorneys that showed up and took part in the training. That's all we can do. You know, we we can show up. We can offer the information we have. We can plant the seed, hoping that someone is able to look at it and step back and say, you know what? I looked at this. I do these things. I've done that. I've said that. We offer support about it. Right now, um, my director has started some group where they're dealing with just just white people, not even dealing with anyone else. Because a lot of times there needs to be a space for that conversation. And suggesting books like White Fragility, starting with that, like reading that, getting into why you feel that you're not privileged, understanding systematic racism. That's how we're showing up. Something that someone said that I really click with is, well, there's that phrase, um, there's no such thing as a universal truth. And I, I I have a problem with that. And instead I would say, um, or the quote is like, uh, there is such thing as a universal truth, but there is no such thing as a universal perspective. And so understanding like there are so many perspectives going into this and the same scene that you see is completely different than the same scene that another person sees. And even connecting to our last week conversation, that's kind of something that everyone can identify with is if you gave your child a camera to take pictures at a protest, how each person would come out with radically different photos, even though they were all at the same event. And I think uh, it's really important just as a white person and as a white male, uh, understanding like other perspectives and how whenever I just like raise my hand and say something off the cuff, like everybody shuts up and that isn't, something that I notice uh, until somebody says like, hey, I can't talk when you're talking because no one listens. And so anyway, I just think that's so important. So important to just kind of understand like, hey, I probably don't have it all figured out. And I know I don't have everybody's perspective. And so just being able to sit back and take a deep breath. In some of our earlier episodes and off the beaten paths, we've talked about how we're all in process. And understanding that we're all in the process of growing, of changing. And so something that I identify with too, as somebody who was not an activist six years ago, how much my perspective has changed and how I also can let go and say, hey, I'm a work in process. Like I'm working towards becoming, and sometimes I'm going to have the wrong 
like idea of what the truth is and accepting change and kind of being fluid with it to say, I'm so glad I'm here where I am now instead of six years ago because I look back at that person. You know, those cringeworthy moments are good because that means you've grown since you've started cringing at that memory. (laughs) But anyway, I want to open the floor back up again to this idea of systematic change because um, I think it's so interesting and a good good discussion. Well, I want to I want to bring up a word that makes everyone cringe a little bit and that's bias or prejudice because having a bias is not necessarily bad. It means that you have a perspective, you've experienced things and that is how you are as a human. But when that bias then takes on uh, a negative meaning and affects somebody else's life in a negative way, that is when it becomes a prejudice. So there are some amazing uh have you ever heard the term implicit bias before? How about so, you uh, <laughs> define it for that. my friend? <laughs> uh, so implicit bias uh, is just something that we don't even think about, but that we hold true to our core being. For example, uh, implicit bias could be anything regarding race, but it does also things around uh, implicit bias around the idea of homelessness, around socioeconomic status, around religion, around police. Um, particularly with these protests, there's a lot of implicit bias that is, is being shown around the idea of, uh, about the system of the police, about the legal system, um, around immigration, around all of these different things, pretty much everything in, in our context as a human being. Um, but something that I always encourage from uh, an individual perspective to a systemic perspective is to take a test uh, offered by Harvard around implicit bias. And it's not necessarily an easy test because you're showing things about yourself that you may not have thought of before. Um, I recognize that I have a bias against uh, people of color in a very specific way. It doesn't necessarily mean it's negative, but it means that I have a perspective that is different than somebody else's. So taking those tests and really thinking intrinsically, what does that matter uh, in regards to how I treat other people? How does that happen in my job? How does that happen uh, on the forms that we give to our clients, whether you're in social services or in banking or in uh, down to things like gender markers? When you have the option male or female, that discredits 10% of the population. When you say uh, African-American, there are uh, Black individuals who do, do not identify as African-American. So that discredits those individuals from being able to identify how they want to identify. When you're saying white, that's summing up a lot of individuals. Um, Whereas if you're saying Hispanic, that's also summing up a lot of individuals. So you want to be careful with those biases that we have on our forms and how we approach individuals. And that is something that Bravo definitely helps with. We've gone in and looked at forms and have really been able to help people get their forms in order and appropriate to make sure that they are representing everyone at the best that we can and not totally discounting somebody's experience, their gender, who they, how they identify, how they show up in the world. The, the easiest way to explain this, I'm trying to think of how to take something as complicated as systemic prejudice 
and make that into a 30 minute conversation or describe that in five minutes. It's really hard to do. All lives matter. That's. Mm. <laughs> I was also way. thinking about that uh, citizenship question on the, on the, on the census, like it's not going to be on the census. So if you're part of our Latinx community, then do not feel nervous. Like you can fill out the census. But I will say it's like one of those questions that if you are born in the United States or if no one would ever question your, like how no one questions any of where the white presidents were born, but as soon as Obama comes, it's a huge scandal about where he's born. But just to say those questions like the citizenship question is for someone who doesn't have to experience that. I don't even blink. Yes, I'm a citizen. Stop asking me that question. (laughs) Who has to even deal with that? And it's like a big question for a lot of people who would stop and say, do I really need to answer this survey? Is who is giving out the survey? Who are And so I think those are one of the small things that you can totally, for some of us, you don't even blink. Uh, the the best experience that I had was in in social work, which is a, a highly female dominated career path. Uh, if you were to walk into a doctor's office and you were given a questionnaire, and the office the options were, uh, what is your gender, male or not male? What does that make you feel like? I mean, that takes away uh, your identity. It takes away your experience. No, I think that is a great concept. Like just to say, what if it was not male male and not male? I think that opens up a, a lot of perspectives. And I also think, too, whenever we talk about these inclusionary groups, having um, also accepting other people's spaces, like whenever I see an all-Black group, I don't say, say like, why am I not allowed? But rather, like, there are some things that, like, I just can't, I don't have that perspective. And to be able to be 100% you and to be able to say those experiences, I think, are uh, really invaluable. And I think that still happens to men as well. We've had a pastor on this podcast who has said having a male support group that was positive about mental health was one of the greatest things for him. And um, that, that is one of those things too that we experience a whole bunch of inequality at all sorts of our society. And I think good mental health practices is one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways that we can help fight that. I can give you an example too. I went to a a webinar the other day uh, about domestic violence And I thought it was fascinating that here we are in 2020, and this was with an organization that uh, Bravo actually had trained, and now we know we'll train again. The person speaking literally consistently said, she for victims, male for for predators. Mm -hmm. When, When she talked about advocates, she said she pronouns for advocates as if men were not advocates even though we had men on the webinar um, that were part of it. And I said, this is interesting to me that we are still not recognizing and including everyone. Men are victims as well. Trans men, men who identify, people who identify as male are victims of domestic violence. Sometimes their perpetrators are women. 
you know, so even the language and then let's, uh, what about same sex, domestic violence, intimate partner, they totally excluded all of that, which is the issue we even have with the police department showing up. The reason why we have people who are losing their lives with partners, because when you see two women, it's a cat fight. Not understanding power and control dynamics, not taking time to understand because one size fits all. So I've been dealing this way for 20 years. I'm going to continue to deal this way, even though things have changed. One of the ways we're showing up is just trying to educate and get people to see that what you're seeing is not necessarily how it is. Dig a little deeper, figure out where someone's coming from, get invested. So going forward, we're talking about how things, so we got the protest. And so you want to talk about how things need to go forward. You know, one of my things to say is you cannot put sugar on sleep, you know? So you have this institution, uh, you have the police department that we all know historically came from slave catchers. Okay, so their whole their whole foundation was built on racism. How do we rip that apart and tear it down so that we can build a different foundation should be the conversations that we're having. For those of you that are are tuning in and uh, are thinking, well, that's that's a very bold statement. Uh, um, go and read White Fragility and go and read all of these books and listen to these, these podcasts by people of color and look at the historical aspects because it's absolutely true, even if it's a hard uh, concept to swallow. I also think too, whenever you look at the U.S. Constitution, like how enslaved people being three-fifths of a person is just crossed out now. (laughs) And I think like there's still some deeper hurt, you know, and there's still some implications today to where it's clear that it was built on something. I think that's really interesting. And I think maybe asking our community members and our people in our communities, how can we build a healthy alternative or how can we build something that, um, or demand something that is a healthy alternative? I think part of that is um, in regards to mental health, taking out that toxic trait that comes with mental health. And, and it comes with trainings by organizations like Bravo and Mosaic and, and Huck House. Um, because when you look at, uh, for example, one of the current um, requests, demands, demands of uh, the police department is that they undergo psychological evaluations, which is not something they've previously had to do. But mental health plays a huge part in our day-to-day living, no matter who you are. It affects our career. It affects our relationships. It affects uh, everything about us. So taking a solid look of going into a therapist's office once or twice um, or more, uh, talking about mental health with our uh, relationships and having uh, combative discussions, having discussions with people who are different than our own perspectives, which means not people in your neighborhood not people that grew up like you, having conversations with people who look and sound different than you. I also wanted to expand the conversation as well to like the school system is historically built just to train workers to work in factories. Like it also isn't 
built on healthy human beings or raising healthy human beings. It's um, built for something differently. And I think that what I would encourage a lot of our listeners and just kind of like a perspective that I see is just that of we need to build good mental health alternatives. And I don't mean to just limit it to mental health, (laughs) but just to say, because this is a mental health podcast and because I truly believe in the power of mental health, good mental health and how imperative it is, it's like eating um, to our systems. I think uh, rebuilding some of these things and say, is this actually healthy? Is this actually sustainable? Our prisons, our prisons are another thing that it's like, is a punishment system or, or prisons in general, like a good mental health built or are they built off of something else? And I think it's good to question that um, and kind of dive deeper into that. I think for one, taking the stigma away from mental health is the big part of it. it we, we totally shame people who have mental health, any kind of mental health issues, whether it's anxiety or whatever, you know, we go to the doctor, they want to give a pill. They don't want to really deal with what, so people don't want to be on pills. So they don't want to deal with that. And then we don't give an alternative. Well, go get a therapist. Not as easy. You know, a lot of insurance, they don't cover mental health issues. They don't cover a therapist. Psychologists and so forth are expensive. So dealing with the prisons, we know because prisons are private, some of them are private owned and things like that. It's about money. It's a number thing. Because if people really wanted to do something with people who are criminals and so forth, prisons should almost look like universities in my brain, in my mind. A prison should be structured. You come in to learn how to do something different and go back out into society a completely different person. What we do is we bring people in for petty things. And when they come out, they're murderers. You know, it's kind of like you didn't murder anyone until you went to prison. You didn't fight until you went to prison. You didn't learn how to hustle and steal and do all these things until you, then we put young people in there and teach them how to be criminals. You know, the whole system is based on financial gain. So that's one of the the biggest issues. So we can't even deal with mental health. We have to first deal with the structure of it all before we can deal with the mental health because the kids are coming out with issues that we can't even, we don't even have the capacity to deal with all the layers that we have to deal with to deal with their mental health. The police department, you know, you're right. As somebody that went to school for therapy, I had to have, I had to go to a therapist. Like it was required that you go to a therapist. Yeah. Why would it be required for somebody who is dealing with people? Um, every day, dealing with hostile situations, post-traumatic stress, all kinds of things. Uh, a chief of police person, I'm not sure, one of the M's, Missouri, Minnesota, one of them, I don't want to misquote, but made a statement that he's killed many a people and never thought about it again. That's a problem. That's severe trauma. Well, in social work, I've had a lot of organizations that when I have a traumatic episode with a client, meaning they are divulging crazy amount of trauma or from the community and something escalates, I'm required to have a processing session with either a therapist or a supervisor. I'm required after that to have those meetings. 
and it doesn't happen often. It doesn't, that's correction. It doesn't happen daily in, in my current position, but it still happens often enough that I have to have those a couple times a month. Right. And when you're in a police situation, that happens almost daily. That is your job. Um, I just want to, wanted to summarize what I've been hearing so far about what we need to do for um, societal change so that better mental health is something we all get to experience going forward. Um, what I'm hearing is we need to address the impact of silence. Um, I'm bringing up what you mentioned earlier, Shainisha, the impact of silence, um, of not talking about yourself, not allowing others to talk about themselves. Everybody has to have space to be themselves um, and they deserve to be talked about. They deserve to be able to talk about themselves. Then we, um, you mentioned a little, little bit about the idea of privilege um, and that um, ties almost directly into uh, implicit bias about what we all experience um, in our day-to-day that we don't um, necessarily think of. Shanisha, you talked about the idea of privilege and not just the idea, but the the fact of privilege, um, and that ties into the implicit bias, and um, that Andy was talking about um, how we just take for granted um, things throughout the day. We take for granted the school system that we went it through, um, depending on the neighborhood you belong to. We take for granted the forms that we're filling out that are exclusionary um, from anything from the census to an application form or filling out medical history. We talked about a lot about um, the need for healthy alternatives. You know, we take for granted um, that mental health is not available to people who need it the most. Insurances don't cover that. Um, and a lot of times the insurance that is available is so complicated and so convoluted that uh, it deters people from seeking out medical help beyond a pill. Um, we talked about how we should demand different um, healthier alternatives to what we currently use as a police force for our schools, for our medical systems, and for our prison systems that we take for granted what they are right now without thinking that they could change and they need to change. Um, and then I think the last thing I had, uh, you know, we talked about how everything is based on financial gain and we need our leaders and we need the people who make decisions that impact all of us to step back and take a um, a different perspective about maybe why are they doing what they're doing, the decisions that are made and demanding that it be based on humanity's gain rather than financial. If I talk too long, we can take it out. Mm-mm, you did it. No, I liked it. <laughs> you summarized. <laughs> I liked it. The only thing I would add is that as we're demanding, we check our, our own biases that we need to demand that our uh, jobs our structural, the structural positions of our jobs, whether you work in a, in a bank, in a school, in social work, in accounting, anything at all, we need to demand that our jobs uh, check their bias as well within that structure, because that is how we're going to change uh, our policies across the world. And I would encourage people, uh, if you're wondering about biases and you're, you're not sure of it, I would encourage you to ask a person of color and not be your own counsel on that. Um, because what you may feel you're doing may not be what you're doing. <laughs> you know, you have to reach outside of yourself to find that information. Um, and I wanted to just, are we, we're closing up and winding down. And I just wanted to throw out, 
if you're experiencing any kind of violence or anything like that or domestic violence or anything, I encourage you to get in touch with Bravo at 1-866-862-7288. You can contact us if you need training on different things and you need some technical support and how to get things together, contact us. We would love to hear from you. And I want to give you a, a key phrase to ask anyone that you're talking to, uh, if because it is not any person of color's job or responsibility to educate you. Ask this simple phrase: Do you have the emotional energy to talk with me? Mm. To anybody that you're talking to, do you have the emotional energy to talk with me? Because that gives them the option to say no, and you can respect that boundary. I also something that I've heard as well <laughs> is. Understanding that there are multiple perspectives, no matter who it is. Like, I think sometimes we have that fear of tokenism, you know, and it's like just because you, there's one person of color that you're talking to doesn't mean it sums up the entirety of, and nor should it be expected to, you know, Absolutely. Uh, that perspective. And so I also know that some of the people of color and women that I've talked to as well kind of feel that pressure. Like as soon as they start talking about that social change, then suddenly they represent every sort of thing and just allowing like, and maybe even talking to them too and just say like, hey, I just want to see what you think. Like it doesn't matter to me. I just want to see your perspective. Um, But anyway, so thanks so much everyone for being on. This has been an amazing experience. Um, I'm so grateful for y'all. Maybe we can go around and do some quick uh, gratitudes. Um, just in terms of keeping traditions alive, you know, and it's such a good way to like go out in the world, you know, say, or maybe an affirmation, maybe we should add affirmations to the, uh, to the whole experience. But, um, I am so grateful actually for Sarah, you know, I'm, I'm seeing your whole stepping back and taking things in, you know, uh, I know you're giving me this weird look, (laughs) but I admire even throughout us working together, your note-taking ability, your insights, your willingness to kind of listen and see things from um, a cool perspective, I think is great. And so um, I don't think I've thanked you live on air yet. So thank you, Sarah, for being a part of uh, our team. And I I really respect your um, opinions and perspective. Well, thanks, Samuel. I'm just sitting here blushing. I appreciate that a lot. You know, I'm just sitting here at my desk and I'm looking out at this Japanese maple that's in front in my yard and it's the greenery and the blue sky and I have my pets roaming around behind me and I am so grateful for this moment of peace. I'm grateful for the discussion and this dialogue and this deep call to to say that we can do better and we have to do better and I think it's just, I'm just appreciating this moment in life right now of these deep, hard, difficult conversations. Um, but it feels so supportive and it feels so together. I am uh, appreciative of my partners uh, and of the friends that I have to rely on and actually process through and that I can support, including my love, Shanisha. Absolutely. You're amazing, baby. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. I appreciate you bringing, including me in all this. So personal growth, as I move towards greater consciousness, I feel old thoughts and habits fall away like training wheels on a bike. They helped me get to where I am, 
but now that I can ride, I don't need those slow and crummy wheels anymore. Now that you can ride, you will never forget how easy it is to move forward in your journey. Whoa. I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Love it. Well, awesome, everyone. Thank you so much uh, for joining us this week. Um, it has been a great conversation. Have a good week. Stay safe, everyone. And thanks for joining us. Bye.